The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit VoiceAmerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Welcome to The Real Deal with Danielle Delaney. In the next hour, you'll hear from some phenomenal people and healthcare leaders and learn how their challenges became opportunities. Our goal is to show you how you can positively influence your own life experience and purpose and achieve success. And now, here is your host, Danielle Delaney. Hi, and welcome to The Real Deal with Danielle Delaney. I am your host, Danielle Delaney, and today my guest is Noah Rothschild. He is an LMFT and a very well-renowned psychotherapist and a recovery and inner child expert and speaker. With two decades of experience in addiction, he specializes in helping his clients to remove emotional and mental blocks that are perpetuating their cycles of addiction, and he empowers them to show up and to live their best lives. Noah holds a master's degree in counseling psychology from Loyola Marymount University and is a certified teacher of integrative body psychotherapy, a holistic mind psychotherapy. And in 2004, Noah became a featured author in the book, The Alcohol and Addiction Cure, written by Chris Prentice, founder of Passages Malibu, the world's leading holistic recovery center. At Passages, Noah was lead family therapist for over seven years and developed a unique approach to treating addiction. And a little more about Noah is that he lives in Topanga Canyon with his wife, Elizabeth, and his two sons, Jacob and Levi. Hi, Jacob and Levi. And their two guinea pigs. His psychotherapy practice is located in Santa Monica, where he conducts telephone sessions, Skype sessions for clients outside the area. And Noah is a gifted speaker and also a singer and songwriter who has presented at conferences to general audiences speaking on topics of substance abuse, healing the child within, codependency, agency, adoption issues, family therapy, mindfulness, breath work, and, mind, and body-mind psychotherapy. And Noah is also currently writing a book on his holistic recovery approach. Noah, is there anything that you don't do? Welcome. I'm so delighted to have you here today. So great to be here, Danielle, and connect with you, uh, a fellow counterpart in helping empower people. What a wonderful pleasure and honor it is to be here. Thank you. I'm just so glad you could make it. And, you know, our work overlaps somewhat here for my, um, my, my interventions and my crisis counseling and sober companioning and all of the other things I do. But I work with 17 and up, ages 17 and up. So I'm always fascinated by the part of recovery that you facilitate with the inner child and so much breath work and so many other things that you do that aren't part of my practice. So, I'd like to ask you some questions about that that the general public may have that's listening. And um, I'm going to kind of go backwards here. I often ask this at the end, but I'd like to ask you now, how did you come to this work? Like what got you to figure out that this is exactly where you belong and this is what you need to be doing? Oh, yes. I love to talk about this. And Please. when I give my lectures, um, I do talk about this a lot. At the age of, of 21, I was... Mm-hmm pretty much depressed and suicidal and uh, abusing substances myself. And I had been to different therapists 
throughout my adolescence, and you know my parents believed in therapy, but most of the therapists uh, just tried to do a tough love approach or coach my parents on how to handle you know an unruly teenager. And by the time I was 21, after I went through a breakup and fell into depression, um, I finally hit a rock bottom in my life um, with some of the issues that, that were going on. And I was adopted at birth, and through that, through that process of adoption, I was adopted into a loving Jewish family, but my parents divorced when I was uh, very young, about five years old. And so there was a lot of stuff that I came to realize from my past that had never been, really been addressed or resolved that had led to my depression, my substance abuse, and then also um, acting out in aggressive, violent ways um, early on in my teenage years. And so at that time of my depression, I finally came to a therapist who actually had some tools for me to empower me and help me in my life. And he was practicing a form of therapy called integrative body psychotherapy. Mm-hmm. And once I did this therapy, I had an awakening um, on a spiritual level, emotional and psychological level, that there was a purpose for me in this world. And the suffering that I had gone through happened to propel me to help other people. I also recognized deeply the importance of not just taking people at face value, but really seeing that there was an original core in people mm-hmm. um, that got injured or interrupted, fragmented along the way, and that when we actually look back, identify the underlying cause, like I did in my life, mm-hmm. we can experience a transformation. Um, and so that's what I experienced. And from that point on, I knew I had to go to school for psychology and become a psychotherapist, and I got on that path. Fantastic, because... You know, I really think that it informs our work so much when we've gone through trauma or when we've had addiction issues or when we have had, you know, sort of a a difficult path to come to what we do. And I never know who's listening to me, who's heard me before, and who hasn't heard me before. So if this is your first time tuning in to my show, Into the Real Deal with Danielle Delaney, I'm also a trauma survivor, and mine was as an adult um, about about a decade ago at 37, and I already was a psych major and already had my degree there and was doing different things, but I was kidnapped and assaulted and raped and went through a lot of trauma Mm -hmm. and physical injury as well. And just coming back through it, um, similarly, I had therapy as a a kid, not really a kid, but maybe a teen. And in my 20s, my parents divorced after 30 years of marriage. So that was difficult. And I was, uh, you know, one of the only mixed and black kids in Encino Hills and Bel Air area. It's just a lot of stuff we go through really guides Mm -hmm. us to what we do for others. So... I love knowing that you have that, that common ground with your clients. I think it's an important place to come from for, for both of us to help people. So yes, I definitely, I definitely hear what you're saying um, with your experience as well. Having that suffering, I think, allows us a real unique ex- uh, perspective to be able to really connect with our clients and understand what they've gone through. And not all trauma has to be exactly the same to have that empathy. Right and compassion, but really working on an empathic level to, to uh, attune and feel what's going on and help them release that pain and then empower them. And um, probably like you, um, through those experiences, and like all trauma, uh, trauma gets increased when we don't have somebody to connect to after the trauma and, and release that with. And so a lot of us, myself included in my childhood, I felt very alone. 
Um, right. at, at times I felt not wanted. I felt different. I'm sure mm-hmm. maybe some of those things you could relate to. And mm-hmm. I wasn't really able to talk about that. And that's how people who deal with trauma successfully are usually able to talk about that and have someone who is attuned to them um, so that the trauma doesn't get as deeply embedded. Thank you. That's exactly what I think, too, because, I mean, I saw many, many therapists and many specialists in PTSD and I'm going to support groups, all of it, and I thought, I could do this better, and that's why I got redirected really forcefully, forcibly redirected into working with um, with uh, sexual assault and trauma, but also addiction and recovery, since they do overlap, and I think that's a lot of our work is the overlap that some of our clients that we've cross-referred with and some of ours, some of our issues ourselves, it's, uh, it, it was one goes with the other. Addiction is self-medicating to me. It's self-medicating trauma. And I had to stop all of that nonsense, you know, just so much mishigas going on in the background in my life. And um, I can have it in work, but I do not have it in my personal life. So it's, it's interesting to me that you come from something similar, that feeling different and trauma is isolating. And it's really great that you connect with clients that way. Now, how do you empower your clients? I have some questions for you. Having been someone who was very familiar with homecoming and the drama of the gifted child and all mm-hmm. of those things while I was in treatment when I was younger, well, what do you use? What are your, what are your empowerment tools and process? What do you do? Yes, well, just as you mentioned, I love uh, I love John Bradshaw and mm. his work, and my original therapist that I went to um, at 20 and 21 years old um, for a few years there, he was utilizing some of John Bradshaw's techniques of working with the inner child and out of that book, Homecoming. And John Bradshaw was a real pioneer bringing that to the forefront, as we know, and his work he? remains in treatment centers. And through, through uh, my therapist's uh, work at the time, uh, a therapist named Riley Smith, um, one of my mentors, he was studying integrated body psychotherapy, which was developed by Jack Rosenberg and um, his wife of many years, Beverly Contain Morse. Jack Rosenberg's no longer with us, but mm. he was a real master of working with the inner child, and he had developed a lot of techniques. And so I combined some of the techniques that I learned from integrated body psychotherapy with some of the other techniques that I further developed um, and, and combining them with Job Bradshaw's techniques and a lot of techniques that I learned out of uh, metaphysical philosophy and affirmations and positive belief as well. So the the main processes that I utilize, um, one of the processes is is breath work. Breath work is a key to shifting our mood and our emotion, but in particular, we can use it to do that for the positive, but we can also, when we breathe and we take a full breath and we connect that breath, we we are able to tap into the nervous system. And oftentimes, when we, when we tap into the nervous system, and this is the sympathetic nervous system, the fight-or-flight response or freeze response mm-hmm. happened during the trauma. And so when we access the sympathetic nervous system through the breath and we get energy and oxygen and aliveness moving through the body, we're able to tap into deep pockets of emotion that have been stored from our childhood or even by later trauma as you speak about. So breath work is one of the tools. We either use it, uh, and I guide people to release trauma. I also guide people to release in utero trauma. In utero trauma is, is huge in perpetuating generational themes that are passed on, unresolved issues from, um, from our parents, especially mom, because starting at three months, 
her neurotransmitters uh, go into the amniotic fluid that we are mm. being housed in as infants, and we start to feel things and take things on at three months in the womb. So one of the processes, I take people back even to that in utero experience, and we release generational themes and emotions that they might not even have known that were there, especially with addiction, um, because there's such a generational component to that. So, so breath work is one of, one of the tools that we either use for empowerment, trauma release, um, and then I also use a series of affirmations. Some of the affirmations that I use are geared towards the inner child, and mm-hmm. they're called good parent messages developed by my mentor, Jack Rosenberg, and integrated body psychotherapy. Um, John Bradshaw was great. He, he developed some of them, some messages himself. Mm-hmm. But these messages go through all the developmental stages and address kind of all the messages we needed back then. And most people spend their whole life looking for these messages mm-hmm. from out there and trying to find the perfect relationship or perfect circumstance. But when we can become our own inner parent, Mm-hmm. and start to heal the child within and nurture that part of ourself, uh, tremendous transformation happens because we're actually starting to develop, when we do that, a healthy adult that can be empowered as well, that can start to take care of ourselves, that can start to say no to other people who are toxic in this world, set boundaries, mm-hmm. and start maybe for the first time in our life to actually grow up. So inner child work, I always say this, is actually inner adult work. So we work on those two aspects for empowerment, and then there's also another set of of mantras that I call agency mantras, um, and these are explain called, these what are agency means. I don't mean to interrupt, yes. but would you explain what that means? Because some of the general public do not know what agency means and how that mm-hmm. informs treatment. So if you can talk about that a tiny bit too, and then get back to that. Yes, yes. So first off, I come from a tradition of recovery from passages Malibu, where I was uh, the lead family therapist for many years. And we came from a holistic model of recovery. Now, there's some great things about 12-step, but there's also some things that can be disempowering in 12-step. So I'm a proponent of 12-step for connection, community, uh, for things that work. But some of the things that I found don't work is believing that once we're an addict, we're always an addict, we're diseased, we're powerless. And, and you're powerless as long as you're using your substance and it's saturating your body and your mind. Um, but there is a power inside of all of us. And this power, we can call it God, the universe, our core, our essence, our Buddha nature, whatever it is you want to call that. And we have to acknowledge that there's a power inside of us. So to answer the question about agency is... Agency would be comparable to what they call in 12-step codependency. Now, okay. codependency, a lot of us have some codependency in us. A lot of us have agency inside of us. Codependency, for me, connotates a disease model, and it makes me feel mm. kind of sick, sick inside when I think about it in a way, like I'm a co- codependent. It's yeah, a, it's bad. It's another, it's not another a label feeling. we recycle. No. So agency is a more of a psychological term mm-hmm. without as much negative connotation. Mm-hmm. And agency talks about, um, and in early childhood research, um, a guy named Daniel Stern talked about self-agency, and he observed infants and saw that infants have an innate capacity to go towards their own aliveness, their own well-being, their own fullness of expression and who they are under the right circumstances. Mm-hmm. Now, that, that would be called self-agency, representing ourselves, moving towards our own survival and well-being and expressing our gifts. But what happens for most people 
is we learn that it's not okay to be who we are. We're either abandoned or we're smothered or we're controlled in some way or there's other traumas such as abuse, physical, um, emotional, um, sexual things that have happened. And we mm-hmm. learn to shut ourselves down and to put a false layer of agency up to represent other people and who they need us to be. We adapt ourselves to be loved, to be safe, to survive, to be okay. So agency is a term that has less negative connotations. It's just a survival mechanism that we Mm -hmm. developed to please, sometimes fix or stabilize other people. And a lot of our work is to move people out of representing other people or being agents, using our agency to fix, stabilize, be a certain way for other people. We want to move them into self agency and empowerment and back to that natural innate nature that many people I really people like that Noah I really like that because I li- I also prefer the word agency because well we're in Hollywood I'm in Hollywood anyway so who's your agent who's representing you who's, right. who's walking <laughs> you through life so yeah. it actually makes sense to me from my old life to this life and also codependency just you know people shut down when you say that it's just the uh the negative connotation exactly and there's just it's more forward thinking I think to say agency and I also love the the concept of the breath work that you're talking about because I know for myself, and I've discussed this with clients when I sit and just kind of shoot the breeze with them about what they've gone through, and they are holding their breath sometimes and don't even realize it. And mm-hmm. that's when I say, why don't you call Noah Rothschild? <laughs> so you need to go <laughs> see <you>. him <laughs> and work on some things because breath work is important, and I personally found it really, really helpful because I would hold my breath, and it's that fight, flight, or freeze response, and your body just keeps kind of reenacting this. And none of those responses are wrong. It's, you know, if you survived, you got through it, you did everything right, but it is a, a thing, a way to relearn, a way of being to relearn, and I think that's very, very powerful. And I'm also so strongly in agreement with what you say about these different modalities for healing and for addiction. And the one thing I like the best about 12-step is take what you want and leave the rest, because some of it yeah. doesn't work for everyone, so... <laughs> By all means, leave that there. Leave the rest there when you need to leave the rest there. And definitely leave that 13th step there. So right. I, think that it's, I think it's fantastic to be able to work around that, outside of that, because it's not for everyone, and we need to be able to address that some things are not for everyone. And I think that's something that Passages is wonderful for, and that's why I love working with them as well when I work with their uh, patients in aftercare myself. So I wanted to also ask you, what do you think um, is the connection with addiction, if there is one, with addiction and early childhood trauma? What's the connection there? Yeah, great question, Danielle. Um, well, as you know, and as studies show, um, is that there's a large percentage of those who suffer from addiction, um, and there's there's a lot of research on this that um, that have suffered people who suffer from addiction have suffered early childhood trauma. Mm-hmm. And so the, the connection um, is that, you know, it's been shown that, that this is the case. Um, and most of the time, even at a lot of treatment centers out there, it's unfortunate. They just throw people in a group. Maybe they do a little education, um, mm-hmm. but they're not always doing that work. There was, an, there was actually an old belief system that if you do work on emotion and emotional stuff, that somebody's just going to go out and relapse. Well, leave relapse. Well, especially um, when somebody's in an inpatient setting, you should definitely start doing that work immediately. So there is a connection because uh, people, as you said as well with your own story, um, and I know with my story, when we hold trauma in, what happens is, is it's stored in the body as this emotional pain, 
and there is some type of repetition compulsion, which means we, not consciously most of the time, um, but on, unconsciously, we end up veering towards the same people and circumstances and basically continuing to re-trigger that trauma over and over again. It may be a different cast and crew. Mm-hmm. may not be our family from growing up or the person who perpetrated us on the street or wherever that was, more physical traumas and emotional traumas. But we will find somebody that we're going to play that out with. And our, over time, people who, and I've found this pretty much with 90% of the people that I work with, originally there was an early trauma, mm-hmm. and more and more trauma happened over the cycle of their life. It wasn't addressed. And then they may have been a recreational user, but what they were using recreationally um, increased as their as their buildup of emotional debt, emotional trauma continued to build due to finding the same people, circumstances, and events. And so if we don't right this, this ship by being mm-hmm. able to deal with that trauma, we're going to progress in our addiction um, and dependency and, and abuse issues. I like that because it's, it makes perfect sense and it really is switching seats on the Titanic. I've had, I've had clients that I've told over and over, you know, it seems like, like this is the same guy with a different face. You know, he keeps shifting and it ha- always goes back to that opposite sex parent and going back to that. Mm-hmm. It's just something that people do and it's, un- it's just an unconscious process, but it, go- it goes on and it goes on until you address it. And I like what you said about addressing a lot of that in treatment because it's a safe zone to do so and a healthy place to do so and explore that. And it's just, it's, uh, I think it's priceless work to do for anyone. So very, well, right. very helpful. One thing I want to add to that as maybe uh, as in our conversation, it's, it's an interesting kind of current event. But the two key kind of ingredients that I see in the rise of substance dependence mm-hmm. are um, that there's so much trauma from growing up in low-touch, low-emotional connected uh, families and there's so much research out there about attachment parenting and attunement, limbic attunement, connection, affection. In fact, uh, Dr. Spock, who was, uh, who wrote a big book about kids and remedies, and he was mm-hmm. one of the first doctors to write a giant book. At the end of his life, he apologized and wrote an open letter to the public and, and, um, medical board as well, saying he did so much damage by telling parents, go off and have your happy hour. If you pick, and if you pick up a child too much, if you hold them when they're crying, um, that you're going to spoil that child. And this was the prevailing belief I that was, that. that was out there. And so a lot of us, grew up in, in a low-touch family system. Our parents may not have even known better, but there's a void that's created out of that that's really stored in the body, and we know that later on we fill that void uh, with the substances. And then the other factor is the rise of pharmaceuticals have really, mm-hmm. the combination of trauma and the rise of the pharmaceutical industry and the prescription drugs, fentanyl, oxycodone, oxycotton, um, people, the, this combination is really lethal in so many ways, as we've seen. It's terrifying because it's the emotional pain combined with physical pain, combined with finding a crutch in such a way that then it's hard to get away from it. And it's just, it really is a recipe for disaster and a recipe for relapse, and it's so destructive. And uh, I'm glad that you mentioned that. It's just something that is so current, it's such a current thing, and it's, it's an epidemic at this point. So 
I think that's important, and I love what you mentioned about Dr. Spock as well, and what a, what a huge thing to, to, for him to have cleared that up at the end of his life, because I remember growing up that way, and a lot of people that I grew up with also, there wasn't a lot of I love you and touching going on, and I really didn't get that in my family so much until after the divorce, and I was in my 20s, and we all began to realize the, you know, the temporary nature of some things, and that 30 years of marriage didn't mean, you know, what we thought it did, and that we could say, I love you, and, and that we realized how important that is. There was a lot more hugging, and I love you, after my family was more fractured, actually, and I always have noticed that and thought, wow, actually, that, that worked out well for us in some ways, and um, it's just really powerful. You know, language is powerful, and, and realizing what we do and, and the power of touch, all of that's so important. Well, I would also like to talk to you a little bit more. We're going to have to take a break in a moment, but I'd like to talk about how you work with early childhood trauma and um, some more about those, those four key components you use in your holistic approach. So when we come back, we'll get a little bit into that, if you wouldn't mind. And, um, and for now, I'd love you to give out um, some contact information, Noah. Like how can people reach you? A website, this, that. Tell them how they can reach you. Yes, thank you, Danielle. Um, The best way to reach me is through my website, www.noahrothschild.com, and you spell Rothschild, R-O-T-H-S-C-H-I-L-D, www.noahrothschild.com, and then my telephone number, 310-801-0995. Fantastic. I love that you spelled your name, too, because that S gets lost in Rothschild sometimes. <laughs> and it's a yes. similar situation with me. I'm, I can be reached at DanielleDelaneyCounseling.com, and I'll spell that out because you would be surprised how often it's wrong. Um, Danielle and then Delaney is D-E-L-A-N-E-Y, and counseling is C-O-U-N-S-E-L-I-N-G.com. You can also reach me um, at The Real Deal with Danielle at gmail.com for this show. You can find me on Facebook under Danielle Delaney or Danielle Delaney Counseling, Inc. You can find me on Twitter at It's Danny Delaney. That's at I-T-S-D-A-N-I-D-E-L-A-N-E-Y. And I tweet often after the show. And um, I guess last but not least, there's Instagram. I'm Danny Delaney on Instagram. So uh, carrier pigeon, smoke signal, what have you, you can reach out to either of us and find us. And, um, and I'm Always happy to engage in a dialogue about the show or about other topics, so definitely reach out. All right, we'll be right back, and we'll be talking to Noah Rothschild a little bit more about working with early childhood trauma. We'll be right back. We're on Facebook, along with some of the greatest minds of the world, and that includes you. Visit us on Facebook at Voice America Empowerment. When you see someone, are you seeing the person or the perception? We see labels such as fat, thin, black, white, rich, poor, but we don't always see the true identity. Listen for New Dimensions with Reverend Nicholas Barrett. On this program, we'll embrace the breaking down of societal paradigms, our norms, and acceptance of our false selves. You can find your identity the way that God intended. Forget all the labels that you think you see. Tune in every Wednesday at 8 a.m. Pacific Time, 11 a.m. Eastern Time on Voice America Empowerment. 
Have you friended us on Facebook yet? Why not? Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for the keywords Voice America. Once you are part of our Facebook network, you'll receive daily messages about what's happening with our shows, this week's featured guests, and new happenings at the Voice America Talk Radio Network. And you can add your voice to the always active discussions on our timeline. Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for Voice America. You are tuned in to The Real Deal with Danielle Delaney. If you'd like to connect with Danielle, feel free to send an email to therealdealwithdanielle at gmail.com. That's therealdealwithdanielle at gmail.com. Now, back to the show. Hi, and welcome back. We're back, and you're back listening to The Real Deal with Danielle Delaney. And I'm Danielle Delaney, your host, and I am delighted to have Noah Rothschild with me today. And we are talking about um, trauma and recovery, and early childhood trauma is uh, one specialty of Noah's. He's an inner child expert, an expert in many things, but that is my particular area of interest with you today, Noah. And um, we sort of left off talking about about agency and, and other issues, and I'm thinking I'd like to talk to you about how do you work with early childhood trauma and healing that child within, because I know that I had no adult on duty for years, and my therapist used to tell me I had no adult on duty and that I needed to be the adult on duty, and that changed my life that she told me that, and it was in my mid, mid to late 20s, and I'd love to know how you work with early childhood trauma. Give me a little bit of, a, of insight into that. Great, yeah. So you actually had to be the adult, and that's a that's a common injury um, from mm-hmm. our childhood. And and so this is what I f- first start off doing. You know, I have kind of four tenets that I work with. I work, you know, with people's sense of power and authorship over their own life. Um, we can talk more about that. I work with what beliefs they're holding inside, with the trauma that occurred. Um, I think that's because, important. Very yeah, important. Yeah. So let let me start saying something about that. So that's. That's really important because, especially as children, there's a tendency when things go wrong, when there are traumas that occur, we don't blame our parents, we don't blame our caretakers, we actually blame ourselves. And that's why we see so many movies that try to replicate this, like Goodwill Hunting, the mm-hmm. moment when, you know, Matt Damon and Robin Williams, and um, too sad that we lost Robin Williams, a great oh, actor and, and great human being, but uh, saying to Matt Damon, it's not your fault. So kids left to their own devices, without somebody attached and attuned to them, mm-hmm. will make up stories uh, about themselves. We actually have a process of blaming ourselves um, and making ourselves wrong as a child. And out of, that, out of that early belief that I call the basic fault, um, it's like the epicenter of all the other traumas that perhaps happen in our life, mm-hmm. uh, we have a core belief that we carry around about ourselves. Um, and it's usually a belief of, I'm all alone, I'm not good enough, no, these are different offshoots of it, no one loves me, no one wants me, mm. and it also corresponds, or I can't be who I am, or I'm different, um, it corresponds to a place in our body, either usually it's in the, it's in the stomach or around the heart where we feel a void. Um, and what I help people do is identify what that belief system is, and we usually track on a timeline, um, the timeline that I like to use is a seven-year cycle timeline, zero to seven, seven to 14, and then 14 to 21. And um, I'll say a little bit about each of the timeline just briefly. No, the zero do. to seven years 
are the years in which it's about attachment, and that starts in utero, whether we were wanted, whether we were not wanted, we feel all that. I felt that with adoption. A lot of people feel that um, if a mom is depressed or anxious, that goes into our neurotransmitters. There's research that shows that when you're tuned to in the womb, that you can learn music early, that your IQ mm-hmm. increases, that you go through developmental milestones sooner. There's a lot of research with this. And, and conversely, if there's high stress levels, then it increases our stress levels and, and is disrupted to the nervous system. So zero to seven takes into account mm. in utero injuries and then attachment injuries. Did we lose a parent? Was Were we emotionally growing up in a low-touch family, as you said, where people don't give those good parent messages like, I love you, I want you, you right. don't have to be afraid, I'll take care of you, you can trust me. These are, I see you and I hear you, these are core messages that, right. that we all needed. So that's zero to seven. And um, then there's seven to 14, which is more school-related injuries or overlaying all these timelines can be sexual, physical, uh, emotional abuse, um, psychological abuse, all of that. But seven to 14, a lot of us went to a school system and we wanted to be accepted by our peers. Some of us didn't feel accepted. We felt different. We felt alone. You alluded to that with your story as well. Oh, yeah. Um, I know. And I know I felt that growing up. I also experienced bullying from older kids because I was a taller kid, and people always wanted to come up and test me, and older kids would often do that with me. Um, and um, so I experienced bullying. A lot of, a lot of us experienced bullying and now more than ever. So peer-related issues, also learning-related issues. Some of us were labeled ADD, ADHD, mm-hmm. were put in the special ed class. And a lot of, some of us were also pushed ahead in the grade when we could have maybe been the oldest in the, in the younger grade, and that would, study shows that that would have been better for our self-esteem. And we're, we're thought that we can read um, at a certain age. Um, and if we would have been held back a year and been the oldest, we might have been able to learn to read and do math better, but instead we're put in the low reading class, we're labeled dyslexic because we had challenging times. So there's a lot of injuries that happen there, school-related injuries that I like wow. to track um, going out into the world, and we can have divorce and other things there as well. And that's 7 and, to 14? Yeah. Is that the, that's the stage you're talking about? 7, to, seven to 14 is when we become more mental and there's, there's a more you go into school and you become indoctrinated into that, mm-hmm. and a lot of injuries happen there, 7 to 14. Mm-hmm. Um, and then the final timeline is 14 and 21, and this is where a lot of us as teenagers, we want to become our own person. And if, and when, as we move towards our independence, some of us are really smothered and controlled, helicopter parenting, or we need to be a good boy or a good girl. And then later on, there's trauma out of that because then we end up going wild or, or partying, you know, when we get to college or somewhere else because we were never allowed to be free. And our only way to be free is to, we feel, is to use substances. Um, and then others, others of us, 14 to 21, um, may have not been ever allowed to fall down or make a mistake. We were mm-hmm. enabled in some way. Um, and others of us were on our own already. Like you said, a gr- we're a grown-up and we end up experimenting with stuff and we have no boundaries um, and there's traumas that happen there, having sex too soon, progressing deeper into our drug use to get a sense of independence or to mm-hmm. fill voids from earlier places on the timeline. So we track, we track that. Um, and how did we leave the home? Did we have to you know, get into an abusive relationship to move out? Um, or did we have to, have to run away? There's a lot of traumas that, that may have happened 
somewhere on that timeline of 14 and 21. Now, whenever you identify on those timelines what these traumas are, Mm -hmm. there is that same belief that is undermining that I call the basic fault, the belief that we're not enough, that we're all alone. This belief continues to get reinforced and reinforced. And if we track throughout the rest of our life, so on and so on, we'll find at the beginning and ends of every seven years, um, some big event or something will continue to come up for us to address that belief and that original trauma. So there's kind of a purpose to these things that we go through in our life. And if we can actually work with these injuries and traumas, we can actually maybe create a new story for our life. I like that, and it makes so much sense because thought is such a creative force. Like I was saying, language is so important and how we speak to ourselves, like that I needed to reparent myself. And make no mistake, my parents are tremendous parents, but it just was not the same conversation of I love you and all of that when we were young. We were hugged and all of that, but just not not coddled at all. And I think that... um, you know, a lot of it really does, like you said, I love that, the, the sort of a double meaning for fault. You say the original fault, because like you said, the epicenter, it's like a fault line that sort of cracks and splits, and in the land of shake and bake, California, with the earthquakes and the rolling and all the things we've had go on, you know, that we see the chandeliers sway from time to time, and it reminds us we really don't have any power, do we? You know, but it's... uh it's a fault, and it's a fault. Like, it's the original fault as in a flaw, as in an injury, but then it's also a fault as in a fault line that it sort of, yes, you get of leads it. from there. So that's such a double meaning. When you said epicenter, that just was yeah. like light bulb over my head. So I think that that whole belief system, all of that past unreleased negative, unreleased negative belief system and emotions stored, huge, huge, huge. So I like those. I like the breakdown of the years there as well. I think that's really, really helpful. Now, what about? Um, I always want people to kind of find the power to reclaim their life and and that true recovery, reclaiming themselves and the, the person that they're meant to be, and that children have that natural zen. They're like little zen warriors naturally. What? How do you work with the early childhood trauma? What else do you do with the empowerment? How do you give your clients right. tools for empowerment? Right. So one of the uh, biggest tools that I, alerted to, uh, that I alluded to earlier is the breath work. And when we utilize the breath work, um, we can use it for two things. One of them is to go back and, and uh, release trauma, stored trauma. One of the ways we do this is we identify those timelines and we work with the different fragmented basic fault aspects of ourself and we heal those. Um, by actually getting visual uh, memories of those times, working with the breath, going back and connecting to those times on the timeline, and giving, uh, allowing the emotion to be released, having compassion, empathy for ourselves. And so after we do that, that would be the initial mm-hmm. phase of the work, and that's real, really a cleansing phase. But mm-hmm. while people are going through that, and I know a lot of people who did inner child work in the past just think, oh, my God, I'm just going to be crying forever. Or this is going to be such a painful thing. Why do I even want to go, go through this? So I also mm-hmm. empower people by teaching them a 10-minute breath exercise called the Sustaining Constancy Series. And I have that on YouTube. If you type in Noah Rothschild Breathwork, that series will come up. Um, and that, that breathwork series is one of the critical tools because if you wake up every day, we start to replace our negative addiction with positive addiction, uh, breathing. We then get a sense of well-being in our body, aliveness, and a core sense of I am. Now, mm-hmm. I teach people about the power of I am, and I know you know about this as well, is mm-hmm. a lot of us, we start off with this original core, 
and there's mm-hmm. this natural I am. And when the injuries happen, we start to add on to the I am, that basic core self of who we are, and all that potentiality of who we are is this natural I am. And we add on to that, usually, I'm not enough. I'm not lovable. Um, and so there's a tremendous power, as you said, in our belief. So we identify what those basic fault belief systems are that interrupt our well-being, and I start to actually give people um, other affirmations uh, to replace those with. And, and, but the way I do it is I give people a special mantra to say to themselves. It's a psychological mantra, just like when you meditate, you often will use a, people will use a mantra or a statement. Mm-hmm. The statement that I use for people comes from integrated body psychotherapy, but it's a, called the basic fault mantra, and it's that's just the way any little boy or that's just the way any little girl would feel who didn't get the loving attunement they needed. And I teach them to say, that was then, this is now. And we interrupt it whenever it comes up, and then we rewire. And we say, the truth is, I love you. I want you. I see you. I hear you. Some positive messages. And then we may, I also teach them to utilize the breath and go into other positive I statements, such as, I'm powerful. I'm perfect, whole, and complete. I live a joyous, sober life. My mm-hmm. life is filled with abundance. I can create my best life now by what I choose to think and feel. Um, and so there's also a list of affirmations that I give for people, specifically maybe based upon their trauma and overcoming that, but also on rewiring towards living a joyous, sober life or living a joyous, trauma-free, abundant life where we can connect to others, where we're abundant emotionally, financially, in, in all areas of our life. And so we actually start to work with that I am and that core, and we actually start to realize that we have tremendous power in our life and self-agency, as we talked about before. I love it, Noah. I think that's just so helpful and so powerful because, you know, people don't really know, and they're looking on, at the outside, and they're, they're just trying to reach for it in the wrong ways. It's not about your watch, people. You know, it's not about your car and your watch and your stuff. This, this returning to a natural state, it's holistic. It's natural to be sober. It's a, your natural state. It's really not so unusual. And some of the things you're saying about, you know, that joyful self, uh, you know, being sober, it's one of those things. I had a friend here recently that uh, I live in a building that's kind of like a hotel. And yes. there's one of those, um, what do you call it, like a, like, a, like a dolly that you move luggage around on, one of those brass things that you'd move the suitcases up to the hotel room. And we brought some things up here, and then I was running down the hallway with it, and I was kind of riding it like a skateboard. And she looked at me and said, whoever gave you a drink? Like, why would anyone even want to mess with that? You're playful. You're like a child. And it's honestly taken some of so much deep work for me to get there but just like you said it's difficult people think of me be crying the whole time i do this inner child work woe is me it's so awful and that's not really it it's it's some of the hardest work you will ever do people it really is but it also is some of the most important satisfying gratifying uh, things that you'll ever do to to go to deep therapy and to work on your inner child and to find someone like noah who can help you work on this and these are things that are, they're not irreparable. It's just right. reparenting yourself and really having that true recovery, reclaiming that child within. I think it's beautiful and it's painful, but it, it generates so many beautiful things in our lives. So why not actually do the work and get what comes out of it? I think it's You're so right. Wait, wait, what you said about um, that joyful self, you know, and with the dolly and the... Yeah, it's, in silly, the, and it's fine. <laughs> it's ridiculous, yes. but it's fun. That's what happens. So unless we unearth and release that trauma, what happens is 
there's there's basically a, a layer, a barrier towards the unlimited joy that we can start to experience in our life. And in a lot of ways, I was depressed a lot of my childhood. I remember this deep feeling of sadness. And once I did the work and got some of that out and used some of the tools, as we both know what these tools are and you utilize them as well, um, what happened is I found this joyful part of myself that wanted to play music, that wanted to um, experience natural play again, sober play. When we were a child, we were sober. And there were moments where we'd run around, we'd feel energy through our body and well-being through our body. And you're absolutely right. It is natural to be sober. That is our natural state. Mm-hmm. And, and we start to get in contact with this natural part of us, our core that we lost a long time ago, or maybe some of us never really experienced. And we start to unearth that. And our life in all areas starts to transform and become whole again. It's an it amazing really thing. It really does. It really does. And it's not like I, you know, I did that inner child work in my 20s. It doesn't stick all the time. I, I lost her for a little while. I didn't know where she went. And then I remembered I needed to take care of little Danielle. And little Danny needs some, some support sometimes. And she needs to be understood. And she needs not to be forgotten. And, and it's, it's, you know, that talking to yourself and saying, you're going to be okay. It's going to be all right. And, and it's okay if you're nervous or it's okay if you're upset about this. And it's really that little pep talk we give each other, ourselves that it's just, you know, that we use, give to someone else so freely but that we don't give to ourselves. And I think it makes so much sense that it is a natural state to return to. And you can lose it, but you're never too far gone to turn around and, and return back and try to grab it again. And believe me, I've had plenty of incidents of that, and it's just... There's nothing quite like it to come back to that natural state. I have a great time with my Pellegrino water and cranberry and lime and just kind of relaxing and lighting my candles and having my flowers and talking to my friends or going to the movies, doing whatever it is and and physical things, you know, exercise and just talking to you today. I'm over here like doing Lamaze exercises practically because I I I need to do this breath work and I don't have any kids, but you know, people, if you do your breathing, you remember it's just like meditation. I was asking um, someone I interviewed about meditation a couple weeks ago that it's how, what do you do if you start to get the giggles in there? What do you do if your foot falls asleep and it's just returning to that, to that, uh, that breath work. If you return to your breath, it will not fail you. It really is your center. And I think that's such important work, the daily basis, the daily techniques, and the, the affirmations, all those things that just seem yeah. so, you know, Saturday Night Live, Stuart Smiley, I'm good enough, I'm smart enough. There's something to that. There, <laughs> there really is. But you it know, works. To, and <laughs> right? You, remember you, that? Yeah, and he's looking what, in the mirror in his little sweater and cardigan, <laughs> and he's just, you know. But it's, it, was, <laughs> it was so right on and, um, right? and affirmative. But you, one thing, a point that you're hitting on that's really great is, <laughs> that presence, the present moment and being present, yes. that's the moment of power in our life. And all the trauma that we have stops us from being present in this moment. Our best childhood, as I always tell people, is right now because we have mm-hmm. the power to make it so. We have the power to change our life and take our life back and allow this child to play like they couldn't play back then. Or if they did play back then, we can play again right now. And so there's tremendous power in presence. And a lot of us with trauma and also in recovery, we find that it's hard to be present. You talk about meditation. And the cool thing about breath work is sometimes with meditation, it can be really hard. That mind starts going. But with breath work, you can actually get present. And with I, I practice meditation as well. It's a lot easier for me to meditate after I do my breath work than it is before because the meditation will get us, the breath work will get us into a meditative state and yes. will clear our mind 
uh, a lot faster and get that nervous system into a meditative place or readiness for meditation uh, where we don't have to deal with as many interruptions. And so the breath work is a powerful tool for presence as well as trying to get into the meditation or other things that can be helpful in our recovery and our recovery from trauma as well. I agree. I completely agree. And, you know, it's so funny because we're joking about it. It's, you know, I'm good enough, I'm smart enough, and the breath work and all of that. But it's also, you know, when we go back to these sketches that are so funny, it's because there's some reality to them. You know, there's so much that resonates with us. It makes me think of the Californians, which is another true sketch that people who live in other states might not even understand why that is so funny. But it's because all we do is talk about traffic. We have so much exhaustion here, and it's just you get somewhere, and it's how'd you get here? Oh, I took the canyon and the 405 and the... You know, we just get into this whole dialogue about our stressful day, and I actually do a lot of breath work in the car, to tell you the truth. There's a lot of um, the power of now, right now, right now. You know, stop worrying about the car in front of you or behind you. Just be in your car right now and, you know, get where you need to go, listen to your music, make a phone call. It's not all that bad, and just being in your present moment and navigating through not just the traffic, but the different emotions that arise while you're, you're just going throughout your day and returning to your breath really will never fail you. It is that holistic mind, body, you know, body, mind approach. And it's, um, I just find it so useful. It's just so useful everywhere, everywhere. You can do it anytime. Serenity now is the Seinfeld one, right? Serenity now. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I watch a lot of TV. It's true. I have. I have. I admit it. But I love it. It's educational for me. It's social studies is what I call it. I need to do it. But it's, uh, it's, all that stuff's true. You, know, you need it. You need to have a way of returning to the present moment. We get so lost in the future. We get so lost in the past, which means you're not, you're not, you're not living in the moment. And being in your present state is so helpful for all of us. I think that's huge. It is. Yeah, the, the present moment uh, is imperative. And so much of us with trauma or also in recovery and addiction, um, we have problems tolerating emotional connection and intimacy with other people. We're not allowing ourselves to be present enough and intimate enough with ourselves, and therefore we can't be present and intimate with others, and mm-hmm. it just increases our aloneness and our trauma. And so just being able to have a quick breathwork practice um, of really taking a full breath and really allowing it to fill all the way to the upper chest because most of us just try to take a belly breath, and I know a lot of practices say just take a little breath into your belly, and that's going to be a calming breath, and it may be a calming breath, but we're also constricting around our heart. So it's great to breathe from your diaphragm all the way to your upper chest and even take about five of those breaths and really then find, imagine a memory, and this is another thing I do, imagine a moment of love or happiness or joy from anywhere in your life. could be a spiritual figure. Mm-hmm. It could be Buddha, Christ, Kuan Yin. Uh, it could be your dog. It could be your pet goldfish. I like to imagine the birth of my two sons, Jacob and Levi, because that always gets me back to a deep feeling of love and reverence for this sacred life and these, these sacred children that chose to come to me and, and for me to be their father. And mm-hmm. it just taps me into a place of being open and being able to connect. So we take these breaths, take five of those conscious breaths all the way from your diaphragm to your upper chest. Think of a moment of love, happiness, or well-being. Put your hand over your heart, feel it in your body, and you say, I am. And you find that I am. You come back to that center in your body. 
And that is a tool of empowerment that you can use anywhere in your life before you go into a difficult meeting or after a long day, you want to come home, connect with your wife, your kids, your, your husband, your, your spouse, your partner, whoever that is. Utilize this tool. And you can also, after that I am, visualize your day. You can add any other affirmations after you acknowledge that I am. That's the starting point. So this is a great tool uh, that I teach people as a resource to utilize. I think that is fantastic because, you know, when you're a child, you don't have all these resources, but now you're reparenting that child, and there's so much to be said for being in the moment and for breathing and for all of it because, I mean, really, what else is there other than the present moment? It's not coming again, people, this moment we're in right now. And I'll add to that a question I get very often because I have, you know, I have my addiction clients, I have adults molested as children, I have rape trauma, I have work I do with the police, with the sexual assault response team, and the hotlines for, you know, suicide and rape and all sorts of things going on, domestic violence, and then I have the sober companioning company that I own, where I send and I kind of put together 20 different companions with 20 different people out there that might be leaving facilities and need someone to help them start their life again with structure, and People ask me sometimes when they come in, how on earth are you doing that and then doing a radio show and then having dinner with a friend and then, you know, seeing your parents who are 77 and 80 and engaging with your siblings or your partner, your relationships, your, you know, everything and doing this. And I think that the best answer I've ever given, and it really is the truth, is by being in the moment every single moment. Because as long as I'm present while I'm putting a companion with a client, I can do that five times in a day. As long as I'm present in session, I'm completely listening to my client. As long as I'm on a hotline and I'm paying attention to that person, I'm completely present and I can do this show once a week and I can promote it. I can do whatever I need to do because when I'm doing that, I'm entirely doing that. And it really took a while. I did a lot of voice. I was a voiceover actor. I've had so many other lives and um, before I worked in, in therapy. And I honestly think... Remembering to take a breath, you know, as we speak, just, it's not audible for me because I'm trained not to have it be so audible, but it's, I'm breathing <laughs> and I'm taking these breaths. I am just, whew, the whole time. And it's, it really is something that informs everything I do is that being in the moment, the power of now, of this moment that will not come again with Noah Rothschild talking to me. And yeah. it's listening to your voice and it's really just appreciating everything and, and it, it all matters. You know, all of it counts. So it's been great having you here today, Noah. Would you tell people one more time before we go how they can get in touch with you? Yes, uh, it's been a pleasure to be here with you as well, Danielle. And um, I definitely can feel that in my heart and a kindred connection with you. Mm-hmm. And, uh, yes, the best way to get into contact with me is through my website, www.noahrothschild.com. Spell Rothschild, R-O-T-H-S-C-H-I-L-D. And my phone number is 310-801-0995. Perfection. And thank you, Noah, for being here. The fastest way to reach me is DanielleDelaneyCounseling.com. On my website, you can find everything else about this show, news and reviews, my bio, everything else. I'm also in Psychology Today. I'm all over the place. Just Google me and you can find me. So that works. But most importantly, tune in every Tuesday, every single Tuesday, 2 p.m. Pacific Standard Time. And I will be right here with The Real Deal with Danielle Delaney. And thank you. And until, until next time, everyone, be well and do well. Take care. 
Thanks for joining us this week. Be sure to catch The Real Deal with Danielle Delaney live every Tuesday afternoon at 5 p.m. Eastern Time, 2 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. We can't wait for you to see what's in store next week. Thanks again for listening to the preceding program brought to you on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit VoiceAmerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the preceding program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management.